Bam, we're live. That's the sound of a 360-degree barbell brush by Hybrid Athletics. Roger, where are you? Where are you, Roger? Good morning, guys. Pretty cool show today. Two of my favorite topics. Dudu has taken his life seriously and uh, taken accountability and transformation to the next level Next level, Dr. Roger Boyer. Wow, feels like I have cotton mouth. I don't even smoke weed. What's going on? Yesterday was my birthday. I had, uh, yeah, yeah, not good, not good. I mean, I had a lot of friends over, uh, just kind of impromptu. I think, I think I told you guys the story. What happened? A friend of mine had ordered a caterer for a huge party. He was supposed to have Monday night. Uh, he then decided he wasn't going to use. The- uh-oh. Uh-oh. Catering service. And uh, so then what ended up happening was I got the catering service for free at my house on Wednesday. I had a big party and I had cheesecake last night. I don't think I've had cheesecake in 20 years. And I feel like shit, to be honest. Good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you, Savon? Oh, good. Yeah, that's much better. When you first came on, it sounded like you were in a uh, grinder. Much better. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're enjoying the uh, local coffee shop this morning. So great to great to see you. I love it. Hey, this is probably one of my. These are my two favorite topics. Uh, just what you've done with your life, and just uh, just grabbing a hold of your life and taking charge and changing your life, and then the CrossFit Level One. So. Uh, thanks for coming on i've been excited about this all week i've been telling my wife i'm like oh i love these kind of shows i love these kind of shows no it's been easy uh, yeah it's been an amazing journey you know especially when it comes to you know the choices that we have to make and trying times especially with covid it's it's always nice to be able to have an opportunity to share good stories yeah i appreciate you guys allowing allowing me the time to share with you guys this morning so dude it's 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 um man i i I was going to say, I hope, but I know this is going to affect a lot of people's lives. There's a lot of people who want to hear these stories because, um, it, you know, when you have things that seem unsurmountable and you see someone do it first, I mean, what they, what's the example people always use the four minute mile, right? No one can break the four minute mile. One guy broke it. And then within a couple months, you know, all sorts of dudes were breaking it. So what, what you've done and what we're about to talk about today, I think is going to change a lot of people's lives. Well, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, 22.2 is a little bit difficult to go up and down that ladder. So anyway, so, but one day I'll get there, I'm sure. Um, where, where are you? So currently right now we're traveling back to Vancouver Island. I'd been over in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan area, visiting my mother who is struggling with uh, COPD. And, and so we're just traveling back to Vancouver Island. That's where our home is. And, and Vancouver Island is on the west coast of uh, Canada, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So we live in a little town called Qualcomm Beach, which is actually just north of uh, about 45 minutes north of where Pat Bellner trains out of CrossFit Nanaimo. So you just take a little ferry over from Vancouver and then you're right in our our backyard. So you're on the island. We are on the island. That's correct. Yeah. Um, isn't who else is on the island with you? Isn't the other? Uh, um, oh shit! I can't believe his name is slipping me. So there's uh, Adam Davidson as well at CrossFit Lolo is down in in the Victoria area, and so that's been nice to connect with him and Michelle. So it's a great community out here, Savant. You guys should come. 
I, I was out there once. Who's the old school guy? I, I can't believe his name is. Who's the old uh, school guy? The redhead, Harry, real buff. Does like we always tease him because he has like a two hour warm up before every event. He's, uh, not too sure. Luke Parker, maybe. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Lucas Parker. Is he over there on the island? Uh, I'm not too sure. We just moved here about 14 months ago, so we're just trying to alchemate and figure out what the CrossFit scene is. And so we've tried to visit all the all the boxes here. We uh, are new members of CrossFit Qualcomm Beach with Luke and and Maggie. So it's it's been amazing to actually just see the whales in the bay every day. So I'm just happy about that. And the mountains in the back, it's beautiful. So I can't pick a better place than in the uh, traditional territory of the. Um, the new Chama Tribal Council uh, is just beautiful here in Devon. So hopefully one day you'll be able to come up and enjoy it. it. Tell me the name of the tribal the tribe up there. So there's lots of tribes. There's 51 uh, designated First Nation reserves on Vancouver Island. Uh, but the Tribal Council that uh, I'm on the territory of is called the New Chana Tribal Council, and so it's actually headquarters out of a place called Port Alberni. Uh, and they're represented by four team First Nations that have been very progressive. And from a political perspective, uh, they actually submitted back in 2009, which is a big intersection with my story, uh, a national chief called Sean Atlio, who was really progressive in, you know, building, you know, an economic base for us to be able to not only survive, but thrive. So it, there's a lot of history here on the island and, and for small an indigenous population of about 10,000 total out of the 14 First Nations. It's uh, it's pretty surmountable of what they've been able to do. And it's one of the beautiful places that Tifino is in, in their traditional territory. And that's where they have the world-class surfing every year is in the Tifino area. So, you know, that's something you and I have in common being in California and being in a surfing culture. Guys come up here all the time to break big waves. So are you, are you, um, you're an American, born and raised in the States and now you're a Canadian? Yeah, so my dad's Canadian from a little town called Blind River, Ontario, and that's where my Anishinaabek heritage comes from. And my mom is actually from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And so I was born and raised in a little small town called Reed City, which is about an hour north of Grand Rapids. Anishinaabek in Kalamazoo. You get, yeah. to, say, you get to say fun words. Um, uh, Anishinaabek is a, is a tribe? Yeah, so we, we're about 1.4 to 1.7 million. I mean, ultimately, the the data that's out there is pretty skewed because of the way that it's taken by the census. But so we're a larger tribe. We're probably one of the biggest tribes that joins a border between Canada and the United States. And I think the other thing that's significant about us as being Anishinaabek or Ojibwe or Chippewa is also what we're called, um, is the abilities around the Jay Treaty. So we signed a Jay Treaty back in, in the 1492 and 15. 12 that really said that we don't have any borders so we can freely come and go between the countries wait you got to bear with me here a second i got to paint some just some really ignorant shit but but i got to do it so there's these people called the nishnabic and the chippewa they're a uh, indigenous and, and i guess by indigenous that means they were the people who were in um on the land before the europeans came and their home is uh basically where the border where the imaginary border is between canada and the um united states imaginary i guess you could also call it legal and yeah. and and in what section of um 
on the west in the middle or on the east or that entire from from coast to coast from atlantic to pacific where is their like i guess you would say home yeah so great question savon so the anishinaabek people are actually a part of the three fire confederacy so the landmass that we occupy is actually ontario manitoba minnesota Wisconsin, Michigan, lower parts of Ohio, Illinois, or in um, Indiana, and then also in Quebec. So we have a vast land mass um, to be able to, to occupy. And prior to, to the newcomers coming or, or colonization, we actually freely went back and forth in the waters of the Great Lakes and did trade amongst each other. So this is our traditional territory. And in Michigan alone, where I'm originally from, there are 11 uh, First Nation reserves that represent the Michigan Intertribal wow. Council, and they're in Anishinaabek. So, and there's not a CrossFit affiliate on any of them. So, wow. Um, okay, yeah. and, and we will get to that. I just want to talk about the history a little bit more. So, on mm-hmm. your your is your dad? He your dad is Anishinaab N- Uh oh, I, I lost your audio, brother Roger. I can't hear you. Maybe you got muted. No. No, sir. Maybe the Bluetooth disconnected. Good time for a coffee break. Holy cow, it is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. While uh, Roger here figs out, figures out his um, audio, I got to say, I had cheesecake last night, and I, I think it, like, disrupted my sleep, like, severely, severely. I feel like I was just watching my brain the whole night, and then it was just morning. No, sir. You still look good. Your camera works great, but no, no heary, heary. Can you hear me? Oh, that's a trip. Uh, you want to log out and log back in? That can't hurt. We give it, give it a, just a complete reboot. I love all these words: Nishnabic, Chippewa, Kalamazoo. What was the other one? It was another one. How was the bird? It was good. It was mellow. I'm fitty. I'm fitty. But I had um, two pineapple chili kombuchas, which is c- crazy for me, and a piece of cheesecake. Oh, yeah, I hear you. Savon, can you hear me? Yes, yes. I hope everyone got to take a pee break. Wonderful. And happy St. Patrick's Day to you guys. Yeah, thank you. I can't even believe it's St. Patrick's Day. I don't even know what that means, but I, <laughs> but I think you're just supposed to wear green. I got my green on. Yeah. I'm probably going to get in trouble for that. There's probably some reason you're not supposed to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Especially in camel, you know, the, everything about being PC these days. Yes. I, um, it, it was funny last night, my, uh, I had some guests over at my house and my guests, um, told, um, taught my kids how to make a, oh, that's why they were doing that. I didn't realize it was St. Patrick's Day. They were making leprechaun traps in the backyard nice. to catch a leprechaun. I'm like, dude, what are we going to do with it once we catch it? And the kids, <laughs> the kids are crazy. They're like, oh, we'll let it go. We'll keep it in the house. I'm like, what? Um, okay, so so there's the, there's the tribe. Now, this is the part that I'm um, kind of I, I wanted to dig into just really quick. I know I'm falling into yeah. weeds. You said that there was a treaty signed in 1492 or 1512. I didn't even know people signed treaties back then. And who is the treaty with? So the treaty is actually with the with the American government that allowed for us as Anishinaabeks to freely pass between Canada and the U.S. as they were char- starting to fulfill their manifest destiny protocol and. And we can get into that later or at a different time. But the idea that, you know, when was the there, there was a U.S. government in 1492. Isn't that when um, uh, uh, Mr. Columbus came over? Isn't that the saying? 1492 sailed the ocean blue or something. 
Who did they yeah, sign so the government? It, it, they- it was it was it was the early it was the early signing of the treaties with the Michigan government at the time because if you remember in uh, if we if we which I don't the, I don't remember I don't know shit so yeah so the so the treaty that I'm actually referring to I just I just fact checked it it's around sorry it's around 1827 is when that J treaty was signed okay so, okay so it was after the actual the Anishinaabek were recruited to fight in the the war of 1812. So that particular war after that, there was a, a peace treaty that was signed that allowed for us to have frequent access between the two countries. Okay. Because we were allies on both sides of that war. Isn't it so good to be alive now where we're in 2022 where we're civilized and we would never fight with other human beings or hurt them or kill them? These well, people I don't know that. That happens all the time, Savon. Oh, what yeah, are you talking shit. about? <laughs> oh yeah, shit. You're right. Darn it. it it's still happening to this day. So. Darn it. Darn yeah. it. Yeah. Man, mankind. I mean, mankind. we just recently we just recently found out that that we had mon- unmarked graves in all of our Indian residential schools. So I'm not sure if you want to open up that that bag of tricks today. So I, I know it's it's it is it is absolutely nuts. It, it it is absolutely nuts. Um, okay, so so um, when you were raised by your dad, I'm assuming I'm I'm making that assumption. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, was that a big part of your upbringing? Um, talking about your your history, who who you are as a person, who your people are on the um, Nishinabek side. Yeah. So interestingly enough, it was it was something that we had partaken in, like the the powwows that were around the community we would attend the powwow, would attend ceremonies but it wasn't if you remember some history again you know my dad was raised in a time that it wasn't cool to be in it wasn't the fad and cool thing to do and so my dad actually carried a lot of shame with him around being indigenous because of of some of the socio-political issues of the day and and really focusing on unemployment was huge on our first nations back in the 1950s and 60s when my dad was was trying to figure who he was as a young individual. And so he actually had to leave the community in order to find employment. And so that was a part of his shame uh, background where he wasn't actually proud to be indigenous. And so it wasn't until later in life that we actually realized what it meant to be Anishinaabek, to be part of a community, to have that connection, to understand our ceremonies. And also because of colonization, it, that information is not even to this day readily available for most of us. What, what, so infor- what information? Well, in, information about culture, information about, uh, you know, like you said, historical information about Indian residential schools, uh, and, you know, about how our people were acculturated, assimilated, uh, all of the, even the, the ideas around treaty relationships and how do we live well uh, in these treaty relationships. And so again, I didn't learn any of that stuff until way later in life, you know, until I went and became educated and, and started to educate myself because it just wasn't something that we talked around around the table. So it's a, it's a trip. Um, it's a trip people's heritage. I had this lady on here the other day. She holds like all these world records for eating. Her name is, um, Leah Shutkiever, she lives in um, uh, in the UK. Beautiful okay. woman, beautiful woman, and she holds all these crazy records. 
uh, Roger, like um, uh, a hot dog eating, biggest bowl of cereal eating. Uh, she just can swallow eggs whole. She does all this cool, crazy shit. I'm, I'm insane body. She's a fitness girl. Um, she does it just it's a trip. But anyway, uh, during the during the conversation, I'm like, oh, you're a Jew. And I saw her whole face panic. And I'm like, what? What's up? And, and, and she's like, oh, I don't really tell anyone that. Yeah, I am Jewish. Or like, you know, I didn't have it too bad. But like, you know, I went to a school where everyone was, um, you know, probably Irish and, you know, some sort of, some sort of descent like that. And uh, it was weird being Armenian. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like, yeah, like I'll totally talk to people who yeah. are from Iran or Iraq and, you know, cause like you go to, we go to a country with it. We go to war with a country back to the fighting thing. We go to a war with a country like Iraq. And then all the citizens in this country who are, you know, Iraqi or Iranian start to feel like shit. Right. Cause everyone's like, it's like, it's like after nine 11, uh, you, you go to the airport and you get on the plane and there's a dude with a turban getting on a plane and you're like, you know, cause the last, yeah, the last exactly. image you saw of a guy with the turban on was blowing shit up. It's well, and I think, and I and I think, like us, every time Thanksgiving comes around, we all get traumatized because the stories are retold about, you know, how our kids were taken away from us and put into Indian residential schools, and then also we get re-traumatized by defranchisation and what happened, you know, in our country. Both that that's a shared history between Canada and the United States. So, for us, tell me about I Thanksgiving. Told, I, I'd never heard that. Tell me about Thanksgiving. Yeah, so the, the historical story has always been, you know, great Christopher Columbus came and, you know, came came to the States in 1492. And, you know, the pilgrims and the Indians, they all sat together and they had this great feast called Thanksgiving. But the reality is, is if you read the historical documents, uh, you know, some from, from some of the anthropologists and especially those wonderful Catholics out there who I love the most because they were great historians. Like if you read the Jesuit relations, you'll read some of the stories about what actually happened on some of those encounters. And in particular, most of the, the newcomers who first came, especially uh, in those times, and as well as in Toronto, um, when they came, they were actually full of sickness and they were full of starvation because they'd been on the boats for so long. And so you know, us as indigenous people and our, and my ancestors, you know, actually aided them and put them back to wellness and back to health. And that's why they were able to send back the people back to the queen to be able to tell them about how amazing the people were and how amazing the land was. And then the story abruptly changed. And so, you know, coming back and, and feeling as though that this was divine and God had given them this land and all of a sudden now it's theirs. And so then my people are the ones that had had to pay for that. And 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 thank and Thanksgiving, where on one hand, in you know, I guess you could say in American culture, it's a celebration, and in the um, indigenous culture, it's it's a moment of mourning. It like, is. Oh, it's almost yeah, because around that day in in the United States, it's usually uh, the third week of November, and in Canada, it's the second week of October. So around that time, we also share a very sacred day as the Anishinaabek called the Day of the Dead, and so it's this idea around. You know, on uh, you know, honoring our our people that have gone past uh, and telling the stories, and it always reminds, like you said, that day of morning of saying, "Hey, this is the truth. This is the the history." And then, how do we reconcile around it? So, man, and it's not even—it's it, crazy because it's not even that long ago. I mean, going back to 1492 is, but going back to 1827 is not. Yeah, and and just you know, for the viewers, I think historically they need to understand that, like Canada hasn't even become. A country until 1852. So we didn't sign the Huron-Robinson Treaty with Canada. My own people 
my own tribe being Mississauga First Nation. We didn't sign that here on Robinson Treaty until 1852. And so this isn't like something that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. This is like what happened yesterday. And in Canada with the Kamloops Indian Residential School, that Indian Residential School didn't close until 1997-98. So this wow. is like in the last 20, 30 years that these atrocities still happen where you know, our people were going to day school and, and being acculturated and assimilated and, and really ripped of their cultural identity. So again, it's, it's, it's telling the truth. And that's why I really appreciate the Canadian stance and the leaders here in Canada who have actually done the investments of looking at what does it mean to live in a culturally safe and sensitive way and actually invested resources in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, led by Justice Sinclair. So it's an amazing work that we're trying to do to be able to, you know, almost repatriate our history and our culture and identity and our ceremonies and all that stuff. So it's, a, it's amazing and, uh, to be able to do that here in Canada. Um, I, I want to go back to 2009, but yeah. if we have time, I'd like to come back and visit this okay. and, 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 t and talk about this because it's interesting because I was – I'm, I'm Armenian on both sides, and I was raised with a strong, strong – um, narrative around the Armenian genocide because basically anyone who's who's Armenian who's alive in the United States is there's a pretty significant argument that they're so lucky to be alive millions of Armenians were killed and they were basically just fleeing in 1915 from that that sort of Armenia Turkish region and they scattered to the wind right and I go back and, and so so April 15th and we have all these days now, you know, since the day I was born to remember the genocide and there's this pounding in and there's this like, why doesn't the Turkish government recognize it? And there's just all of this stuff around this really sad day, right? These sad years, these killings, these escapings. I mean, shit. I mean, I mean, my, my family has a very strong history with it. My, um, my, uh, Great grandparents and grandparents were moved to a 10 by 10 square foot uh, concrete hut where my dad was raised with his 10 brothers and sisters um, in Lebanon. Right. No running water, no electricity, no bathrooms, none of that shit. And that's how my dad was brought up. But but I'd like to go back and and hopefully if we have time, be like, hey. Or maybe it's a different show. What are, what are the implications of, of sharing that with the next generation in a way that makes them victims instead of. Well, I don't know what the other option is, right? Well, I think right? I think vict victors versus victims, right? Because victimization is reliving and staying in that position. And I hope our indigenous people, my kids. I mean, you you seen beautiful pictures of my my kids, yes. and so yes. you know the idea. By the way, you got a posse. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, ultimately, the idea is that the next generation is always better and more prepared than we were, right? And so the idea is to really move from that victimization and find the healing. And, and again, like I said, uh, I know we're CrossFit focused, but it's you know it's about finding our culture and our space and place within the world. So, right? Yeah, I think that'd I be a great. I think that would be a great uh, a show. I, I I feel like I was um, not intentionally, but through the stories, um, I was taught to not like Turkish people, and I don't think that I don't think that component of it helped me at all. Now as yeah. a forty nine, you know what I mean. So like, I wish the history could have been taught in a way. Anyway, anyway, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll it, it may, and maybe it's different the way you were brought up too, but. Um, there needs to be a way that it's taught to where I don't, I, I don't want my, I want my kids to know the history. I don't want them to carry the baggage. 
Yeah, and I totally agree with you. And I think, like, for me and my background, the way we were raised, we were raised Roman Catholic by the victimizer. So, I mean, ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm carrying this burden of this cross that actually was used as a weapon to actually kill my people. And I'm not talking my people as in, you know, First Nations across Canada and the U.S. I'm talking about my direct ancestors at the Spanish Indian Residential School in Spanish yeah. Ontario. Like this is a this is something that actually is directly close to the nucleus of my home and my narrative as a human being. And so I, I think, you know, when it comes to that, you carry that and you go through that. I think it's the stages of grief where you go through that and you you have that hatred and you're like at the end of the day and being indigenous, I experience racism on the daily in very different ways. And I totally savant, to be honest with you, was blind, blindsided and blind of it for for a long, long time. You know, until I sat in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan and sat there for 97 minutes waiting to get a, a coffee and a, and a menu to be able to order. And people were like, well, they just don't treat Indians that way. So how did they, how did they know? How did they how do they know? Uh Oh, I lost you. Wait, wait. This is the good part of the story. Shit. If you have to log in and log out again, do it. <laughs> awesome. Feel free. Feel free. Yeah, do it. We get to the bottom of this. How do they know? Do you guys know that I'm Armenian? Could you look at me and tell that I'm Armenian? Let me show a little. How do they know that he is? We'll get to this. Is that Roger? better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You the man. Thank you. Perfect. Um, how, Sorry how about do that. They know, how do they know? Um, like, like I know you're not Chinese. Yeah, totally. How do they know that you're a, uh, a Nishnabic and that you need to wait 97 minutes for your coffee? Well, and, and ultimately where we were in Moose Jaw, the, the ideas at that particular establishment, they, I, when I walked in at that time, I was 400 pounds. I had braids, you know, down to the back, uh, and, you know, and I looked indigenous, I looked native, I looked Indian. Right. And so ultimately me and my, at that time, my five kids walk in and they all, as you can tell, beautiful, you know, Pocahontas looking, you know, Indian girls sitting around uh, waiting to be served, it just sparked into them a prejudice that they felt like they needed to treat us differently. So, I mean, ultimately, I never actually entered into the conversation like I have in the, in, in the past of, of asking them, you know, why did we have to wait or why did we have to experience that? Um, but in that particular situation, I'm not sure how they knew. All I knew is that I had to wait a lot extra time to be served than than not so yeah so you can tell we're all in there so look at that posse that's so good oh, yeah. sorry i shouldn't say happy birthday up there what's going on here yeah. uh yeah that's great oh my goodness so those are my four beautiful daughters uh harmony emily sophia and hayden and uh and ultimately when we walk in we are the boyer brood or as we are as we're known as the maqua clan so we're the bear clan so what what's that what's the age range so Harmony just turned uh, 13. Emily will turn 12 at the end of this month. Sophia is uh, nine and Hayden is 10. And wow. then we have an older daughter who's 16, Natalie. So, Wow. I'm, I'm impressed you can, um, I'm impressed you can remember. Do you know all their birthdays too? Can you, do you remember all that stuff? Yeah. Well, it's just because we just went through it. So the blessing about having them all when we did is that they're, we have three birthdays in February, one in January, and one in March. So, so we get them all over and done with from January to March. Lickety split. Yeah. You know, I was in a um, 
um, I was in a meeting one time with my wife and uh, with a uh, family friend on her side who's the vice president of a large uh, bank chain in Southern California. And we were sitting there talking and uh, we're discussing like our finances and she was giving us advice on where to invest in the future. And it came up that her bank, the branches of her bank that she was in charge of, this huge swath of branches, and um, that they didn't lend money to um, Armenians. Now, there's like a million, there's over a million Armenians in in, um, in Los Angeles. It's the largest, uh, you know, congregation of Armenians outside of Armenia. And she basically said, if they see an IAN or a YAN on the na- on the um, last name, that they'll be like, oh, and um, we have a perfect bank for you, and they and they send you to a bank outside of the district. <laughs> and I said, and I, and I, I knew the answer to this. And she said, why? I said, why? And she said, because the Armenians down there don't have a good reputation for paying back their loans. And it, it, it's, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't fucking like it. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. but it's, it's interesting. It's, um, this is just, you know, this is seven, eight years ago. And, uh, yeah, there's people out there with strong opinions and, um, yeah. You know, I don't know any I, I never I don't know any indigenous people, really. Like I'm trying to think like Well, you know me now, Savant. Yeah, I do know you. But I'm trying to think like, did I ever roll with indigenous kids like in, in elementary school? Did I know any or high school? I, I looked at the demographics for Santa Cruz one time and it was like one point four percent. Um I forget what it was. I, I thought maybe it said Native American. Yeah, well you might know you might know lots of them, but they just don't self identify because again, they've gone through that genocide and that that bad history that they don't want to right. relate to to all that or deal with that right so ultimately you may have ran or you know i'm sure that you've thrown down with lots of indigenous people they just not disclose that hey you know i'm happy to be indigenous i'm proud to be indigenous right 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 just just like when i go I, into I know, the, when i, I go I into the banks in la i tell everyone i'm japanese <laughs> yeah exactly uh, I mean, I, I know just even recently with the articles that came out last summer, you know, there's a huge dysphoria of a Navajo presence in the L.A. area. Like it's it's amazing. It how a lot of people have moved from, you know, the reservation on the Navajo Reserve and moved into L.A. just because of the proximity. Hey, dude, if you, I mean, if I had Ed Calder, Ed Calderon on, uh, and and I had I've had Jorge Ventura on, both um, uh, I think first generation, um, you know, from south of the border, and when I I brought this up to both of them, like, what are what are Mexicans? I mean, Mexican three hundred years ago there were no fucking Mexicans. I'm guessing it was um, there were native there were indigenous people who were basically raped by the um uh, uh and, and I, i'm Spanish, being a little melodramatic right? but i maybe maybe not raped by um uh, explorers right who came on boats and then they call now they call that mix that hybrid of people mexicans and they're the poster children for catholicism i mean it's fucking quite the um transformation and i'm being really nice using that word in, in three or 400 years of a giant swath of people. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's the case is in most of our indigenous heritage is because of globalization and, and the move to find jobs and move off of our territory that was actually given to us, actually move into our Terry in some of the cases, you know, back into our territory after it was stolen from us, uh, you know, to be able to find employment and to survive. That's a struggle for most of us. You mean if you want to stay near near home with the yeah, culture? Yeah, if you want to yeah, if you want to stay home near culture or even, 
you know, being able to focus to have that connection because for us, we, we are so connected to our families. We're so connected to, you know, the land means significant amounts to us uh, because that's where our life is. That's where our stories come from. Uh, the yeah. connection of the places. I mean, the community that I uh, came from, you know, it's the, in the language it's called uh, Bembawabka and it's because it's where the, the waters uh, come into the bay in a particular manner like it's gleasoning it's beautiful right off the mississauga river and so there's a lot of connection in the stories that happen there uh with our own people and, and traditional um our our ontological or the way that we know comes from that land and the teachings of creation so so yeah so we want to stay close we want to stay uh connected unfortunately you know because of the situations of unemployment and being forced on lands that aren't prosperous We've got to move in and globalize and, and somewhat assimilate. So, however, the, the smartness about one of our Anishinaabek leaders, which is the Shinwalk vision, mm -hmm. is living biculturally. And I think that's where the strength comes in, is that we need to be able to learn to live in both cultures without losing ourselves. So, yeah, I think you might you might have the same struggle. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. I just started eating. I just started eating raw meat again. And, and I can't believe it, but I grew up eating raw meat. My grandmother, it was my favorite dish my grandmother made. And I would, if it wasn't for these wackadoodles on Instagram who reintroduced me to it, um, I would have just thought it was just some crazy thing that people were doing. But I was raised eating raw meat. It was like one of the finest delicacies of my Armenian diet. And it's like, holy shit. Like, how could I forget that? How could well, I mean? You weren't, you weren't raised on it. Well, no, but that's what I mean. I was raised, I was raised on it, but, but even in one, like, I'm telling you, like up until my grandmother passed away when I was, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, I can't even remember my, whenever I'd go to my grandmother's house, which was at least once a week, she'd make me this raw meat dish. And then now I'm 50 and I forgot about it. And I see these wackadoodles eating raw meat on Instagram. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to try that. And I take a few bites and I'm like, what, wait, this isn't wackadoodle shit. My I grew up eating raw meat. And so it's just, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that like, yeah, I can't, it was a mistake to forget. Like yeah. I needed to, I needed to assimilate the two. I needed to, and you know, I've, I've been looking a lot at Russian history lately and, and, and obviously Armenia is like this too. And I'm sure it's like this uh, on, on, on the reservations and on the indigenous lands that, um, the po there's population decline. Like I was noticing Russia's population last 10 years gone down. That's not that's not a good sign for a country. Armenia's population going down. And, and you have to think that it's the smart people who are living. And I use smart or leaving. I have to, I use that in quotes, but right, they're searching. It's the adventurous smart people who are searching for a better life. And, and I use these terms very loosely, but, but I'm guessing the, the, your communities have the same issue, right? Well, Savon, actually the interesting part is, is that because of, of, people get reconnected with the community and, you know, going back to the repatriation of our children back to the communities from the 60s scoop and a whole other um, amount of tragedies that happen. People are actually moving back to the reserves, moving back to the reservations to be able to connect with the people and connect with the family. And so here, here's something that's really an anomaly that I still haven't figured out to this day, that the indigenous population in Canada is the largest growing population wow. in, in Canada right now, that we are, that we are on the growth spurts and moving fastly uh, and growing. And I don't know what the rates are, but I, I think it's at least almost, if it's not, you know, one and a half, it's almost double the, the amount of the Canadian average. So, so we are, yeah. we are the largest population, like largest growth population. That's cool. 
Wow, congratulations. I'm glad yeah. I was wrong about that. So you just said the 60s scoop, and in, in, in so on this marvelous thing called the internet, I looked it up really quick. The 60s scoop was a period in which a series of policies were enacted in Canada that enabled child welfare authorities to take or scoop up indigenous children from their families and communities for placement in foster homes. Why the fuck would they do that? Because they thought it was better living. 20,000 children were taken from their parents? Yep. Well, that's nothing compared to Indian residential school where there were millions of kids that were taken and put into Indian residential schools and never to see their parents again. So you want to, this is the Canadian concentration camps that people don't think about. Man, I just can't, I mean, when you hear that, do you kind of like, I mean, we both have kids. And so there's like that, your brain wants to play with it a little bit. Imagine someone takes my kids and then right away you're like, nah, nah, I'm not going to imagine that. I'm going to block that shit out. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I I imagine it every day, and I think that's for me. That's why it's so important for for the work that we do, and we continue to advocate for a better life for our kids. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I agree. And good on you. I'm assuming it, it it probably provides great fuel, inspiration, and motivation. Yeah. So last night when I had my long long distance run, I was totally thinking about you know my daughters and and really trying to create fitness as a place of ceremony and a place of healing. So that's, that's been something that I've been doing. That's been helping me out. Fitness. I like that. I view fitness as a ceremony too. I didn't know that. I wouldn't have used that word, but that's, I yeah. guess that's how I view it too. Ceremony and healing. It is kind of where I go when I don't feel good. I go to, I go to fitness, even if it's just like a walk or a ride in the bike, but I almost always turn to it, whether I have a cold or whatever. Or I'm feeling bad or sad. Yeah. I think like even last night, you know, some of the things that I was thinking about is traditionally four is a very important number for us because four is significant and sacred to many things in our culture. And so when we look at like the four colors and we look at the four directions, you know, through our ceremonies and through our um, our, our sacred uh, rituals, we practice um different ceremonies and fours and so it's interesting because usually we focus the first part of the ceremony on the community and on the on the nation and the second part we really focus on the 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 larger uh, extended families of our our closeness and then the third part we focus on our our intimate family or our nuclear family and then at the last part we get the chance to focus on ourselves and so like even last night as I was running and and working on my overhead squats, you know, really just thinking and being mindful through that process is definitely something that helps me to, to focus and become a better human. So, uh, And the, the four seasons. Yeah, four seasons, four directions, four elements. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, uh, massive shift in subject here. So you were running and practicing overhead squats. What do you do? Do you run with a piece of PVC and then like stop every few hundred yards and do overhead squats or how do you do that? No. So I've learned the best from Murph from, you know, from Dave Castro and even what he, what he did at the games in 2020 uh, with Atlanta, you know, being able to run a mile and then do CrossFit and then run a mile and then do CrossFit. I've, I've learned pretty good on how to be able to balance those bicouplets. So last night, what we did is we ran a mile. And then at the end of the mile, uh, we did, we had some PVC pipes there and just trying to practice to get that overhead position and doing more squat therapy. And then we run another mile and we do it again. So 
How, how, how old are you, Roger? So I'm 43. Good job, dude. I'm just a young buck like you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I turned, I turned 50 <laughs> yesterday. I turned 50. Uh, um, well, I couldn't believe you, you had Matt, you had Matt O'Keefe on the other day and I thought, holy smokes, he's a lot older than 45. But, oh, but he's not right. Oh, that's what you're saying. You thought he was older. Yeah. You know why everyone thinks he's older? It's because he's so fucking mature. Yeah. He's, he's, like, a, he's an, he's an inspiration for sure. Yeah. Everyone loves him. Um, yeah. Everyone wants him to them. He, he, he was probably 10 and people already wanted him as a grandfather. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, he's a good guy. It, it, as you do this, now we're way off subject. We haven't even touched on any of the stuff I want to talk about yet. Um, as you dig through your heritage, um, any signs? I mean, I, I, obviously it was an, an act of people and moving was just a part of survival. But any mention of fitness or health or that, oh, would, just yeah. be, or that would just be redundant? There is? There is? No, there was to- – so again, so I think as we start to re-understand our story traditionally, you know, we were very – fit people. So, I mean, if you look at even some of the early drawings of, of the indigenous population, you'd see like very fit, very lean that we were subsistence livers living off the land, you know, having to hunt and trap and fish, uh, you know, transportation by canoe, um, running a lot of even Western prairies and, you know, having to run between the different communities. So we were a very fit nation. And but so th- for that's me, just assimilated with lifestyle, though, right? Uh, I shouldn't say just. Um, that's like they were fit because of lifestyle. There was no need to have like. Do you see any like mention of like exercise, or did they do like any like um like throwing contests, or did did they have any? I guess even then, it's more competitive and survival. Like this yeah, idea so if, of exercise is, is that just a um like that would just no, be so preposterous. If you look at- Go ahead. So if you if you look at that wonderful uh, tool that you used Google earlier, you'll see that you know, like lacrosse, for instance, is an indigenous sport that was no something shit. we used to actually uh, build competition and actually train our warriors. So you know our 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 warrior societies, right? Our 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 bear clan warrior societies would actually train in sport. Would use sport as a part of their training techniques to be able to compete amongst different other nations. So if you look at, you know, the way in which that we used uh, games and sports and the dexterity around some of our hand games, um, you know, was just a part of our culture and our community. And the it was game's also been part pussified. of The game's been pussified, Roger. Sorry, no offense to pussy. I, it, pussy's great. Maybe I should use a different word, but um, it says that the goalpost used to be 500 yards to several miles apart. Yeah. And if you, and if you were able to score, if you were able to live on many of those occasions, uh, you know, that was also a a bonus because it was, it was really about warfare and taking, you know, taking, um, the championships away from the others. Right. So in building that skill, so our warriors were, were some of the best, hence the reason why we were recruited to fight for both the, the Americans and the Canadians, right. Because they, they saw our ability and our skills to be able to do that. It says that there were matches that had up to a hundred thousand participants. A small yeah. game was with a hundred players. A large game was with a hundred thousand players. That's and it crazy. went for days, right? So it's like the, it's like the CrossFit Games, indigenized. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, so the game. Oh, yeah. So the games lasted for days. Nuts. Yeah. Well, so I mean, ult- ultimately, 
you know, when you when you looked at the way in which that we uh, participated, it was also for the community. So the community, it would be an aspiration for the next generation to want to acclaim those positions, right? Those positions and roles within the community. You you lost personally a hundred and you reduced your weight by one hundred and fifty pounds. You weighed four hundred pounds. Did you say that? Yeah. So medically, when I when I stepped on the scale in June seventeenth of two thousand seventeen, um, I stepped on the scale in my one of my primary clinics that I was overseeing at the time, and it said nine or sorry, it said three ninety eight, and uh, literally scared the shit out of me. Okay, we're gonna come back to that story because that's a great story um i was reached out by a gentleman named peter who's on the l1 team and he said yeah. hey um we're trying to um raise some money for um an l1 a scholarship program for the l1 and would you mind publishing or posting or helping us um uh push this gofundme page and i said yeah but um yeah, and I would rather have like you <laughs> you come on the show and talk to me about it. Like this is this is so cool. This is the kind of shit I live for. People going to the L one, and he said okay. And uh, I said who's involved? And he said uh, me and Chuck and Roger. And I said who's Roger? And he goes he's like the re he's really the guy who knows what the fuck's going on. You need to talk to him. I was like okay. Can you give me his contact? He gave me your Instagram. Maybe he even gave me my phone number. And I just started texting you and and DMing you. And here you are a few days later. Um. So. We talked at the beginning of the story is you saw, I, well, I guess it goes back even further than that. How did you put on all this weight? So you have a deep intimacy of uh, obviously from being born to, to getting this heavy to then the journey of losing all of this weight. And somehow I'm guessing that it has helped you realize your roots become more intimate and connected with your roots on a level that maybe you couldn't have done at 398 pounds. And so just like someone, and now you want to share this with your people. Um, yeah, totally. And, and so, so can we talk about this program? And then I want to go back to the yeah. very beginning of you as a child and then build up to this again, but let's talk about this program to make sure we, we talk about this. What's going on here. Yeah. So the greater vision is, is we've, we've started as, as I've started to, to look at how we want to want to situate ourselves and move forward and taking this great message to our indigenous population. You know, we really focused on the real, the real need to build internal capacity because again, as I walked through CrossFit gyms and was dropped in and, you know, through my journeys in Canada and the States, I didn't see a whole lot of, uh, you know, indigenous people or people self-identifying as being indigenous. And then I, I felt like, you know, I wanted to be able to, and I didn't see any affiliates, to be honest, that were on the reserves. And so for me, I thought, you know, the best way to bring uh, good news is through education. And so as a part of that, you know, my wife and I, we signed up for our level one. And Savon, I got to tell you, it's the hardest course. I mean, I've done, I've done a biochemistry undergrad. I've done a biochemistry graduate and I've done my PhD because I'm not a real doctor, as everybody reminds me. Um, and I found the level one, the CrossFit level one, the hardest damn course that I had taken. And I failed it twice, Savant. I failed it twice. And so for me, I felt the importance was to actually, you know, take the, the beautiful message of Greg, Greg Glassman from the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum, actually to our people in a good way. And what best way to do that is through the level one. 
And so in saying this, I actually looked back at, at the facts. So I sat with Chuck and Pete and myself uh, back in February of 2001, and we had this initial conversation about – Wait, 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 about, wait. Fe- not February 2001. Yeah, yeah. That's the first time we had a conversation about it. Holy – February of 2001? Yeah, we had a conversation about what would it look like, what would it take – uh, to be able to establish a, an indigenous CrossFit level one. And Chuck gave me the beautiful message about Dave uh, when he was CEO, actually launching the scholarship program and then sent me the video about the scholarship program for the kids in Atlanta and that they were looking at that time to do it in Philadelphia. And I said, well, what about us? Yeah. You know, what about yeah. us as a, as an indigenous population? Can we do the level one as well as, can we add the scholarship program for our kids together? And so that actually inspired the development of the CrossFit Indigenous Council, which is the individuals that are, are walking with me through this to try to co-create what does it actually look like to have CrossFit in an indigenized way. And so this was a, a, a paramount of us being able to launch the scholarship program to work in partnership with CrossFit. Uh, and Chuck Caswell to be able to offer not only just the level one for indigenous athletes, but also the scholarship for our kids, which will be the two day event after. So we're connecting both the level one capacity uh, for anybody who's indigenous to be able to participate and to be trained by some of the best trainers in CrossFit history, um, but also to be able to, to have our kids come with us in the scholarship program and learn from the grassroots, what it means to live on that continuum and to, and to live well. So there's this, um, there's this, uh, phrase, it's the, it's the cliche phrase. It's so fucking cool though. Uh, I think maybe Gandhi popularized it or people like to attribute it to him. Um, be the change you want to see in the world. And you said that just now in a different way, which I really like. You wanted to build internal capacity. I think that's what you said. And yeah. that is, that is um, at its essence, it, it would be really hard to help a group of people if they were sick. Like ideally, ideally the people you want to, it's why people love working with CrossFitters so much, right? Like anytime, like a group of CrossFitters, like signs up for a gymnastics class. I remember back in the day, like in 2006 or seven, like we would go to like 15 of us would go to gymnastics class and the gymnastics teacher would be like, holy cow, I've never seen students progress so fast because their GPP was so fantastic. And so you bring something like this to a group of people that makes them healthy, right? And gives them self-belief and pride and self-awareness and you're building their internal capacity. It's, um, it's taking care of your, it's taking care of your, your, your home. Yeah. And I think it's, it falls back into the indigenous teaching that we make decisions based on the seven generations, be, you know, that came, but that we're also making decisions thinking about the seven generations ahead of us. And it's that genitive practice of giving back and leaving the place better than we left, than we found it. Do your, do your kids work out with you? Yes. Yes, they do. So, I mean, if you scroll through my Facebook or my, my Instagram page, you'll see the girls, they, uh, they love coming in the gym. They love, you know, CrossFit. Uh, we've got two or three of them, uh, Hayden in particular, uh, she, she sent me a message for her birthday and she actually wanted those gym, one of those gymnastic pads where she could, you know, do handstand walks and, and, and get involved. So she's, she's kind of drinking the Kool-Aid just like me. So it's it's a trip isn't it um last night um i 
I don't normally drink. Last night I had two drinks and a piece of cheesecake. I went way, way out. And so like at nine o'clock at night, I went into the gym for my second workout of the day. I tried to get two in every day and, and not, not as hard as stuff as running a mile, working on overhead squats, running a mile, but you know, something. And it was late nine or 10 at night. And my seven-year-old son comes into the garage and starts working out. Was that Ari mean, or? It was uh, Avi. Avi, and, Okay. And the and I'm like thinking to myself, one, why aren't you asleep? I'm thinking in my head, you know, like and two, why are you working out? But I didn't say anything to him. I, I wanted to give him shit and told him he had to go to school tomorrow, so go to bed. I didn't say anything. I just kept working out for another half hour while he worked out. And like, um, he I had just bought a mace and he was in there doing over. I was on the assault bike and then using the mace, and so I have an air runner, and so he did the air runner in the mace. And I was so. Just do you like, have, do you have an AED in your garage, Savant? No, I should. Is that to, in case my son has to? Just in case he's got to put the pads on you. Dude, my kids know I'm old too. It sucks. I was I told the story a million times, but they had a, a one wheel. It's basically, do you know what that is? Yeah. Uh, I, they, have a, they had a one wheel and I got on it about a month ago at the um, beach and my one of my sons started crying. And I go and I got off. And I'm like, oh, you don't want me riding it? He goes, no, I'm afraid you're going to hurt yourself and die. <laughs> I'm like, why would that happen? He goes, you're old. I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, I lost you. 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 Roger and I are getting this down. We're getting this down. He knows to just log out and log in. Careful, buddy. Careful. What? With what? Oh, just with the, I, I know. But I, I, you know, I haven't had cheesecake since I was a, a little boy. See, Savon, I got to tell you, we got to invest in better CrossFitters or better signals, one or the other. Right, right. <laughs> um, okay, so um, so t- so let's go back to this program a little bit. So yeah. how, why, um, so 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 this money for these for these, how old are these people that are going to go? Are they going to be under eighteen? This group that's good that's going to this. Um, this so program? again, so again, the the vision was that we wanted to integrate both. Uh, you know, individuals that were over 19. So as a being a part of the CrossFit level one, which two days before the scholarship. And then we have the 14 to, to 19 year olds that are going to participate in the scholarship. So it's anybody, any age is able to do the level one, just like CrossFit has today. You can sign up for any level one. They don't discriminate. And so the only thing that we are focusing on is this is just for indigenous athletes who want to do their level one. And then the other, the other part that we felt was important, and again, on the values that we have of, of being genitive and giving back, is that people who take their level one through our Indigenous program, there's an expectation that they work with us to actually fulfill CrossFit programming back in their community. Or like Darius, who's in that, who's in that picture there, who sits on our council, he's actually doing, he did his level two in Ottawa and actually is doing an internship at CrossFit 819 with Cedric LaPointe. Oh, so wow. Small world. So, wow. I mean, I mean, what an amazing opportunity for our indigenous people to work with the elite CrossFit coaches and athletes to go back into the gym. And I know uh, Paul Tremblay and Pete Shaw have been very, very supportive of us actually doing the internship program as well. And so I know Kelly uh, Morris as well as doing your internship at Orleans. And so that's also an expectation that if you come and do the level one with us, we want to stay connected with you. We want to invest in you and we want to also invest in the community so that we can continue to build CrossFit affiliates uh, on our reserves and in our communities, both the Métis and the Inuits as well, not just the indigenous. 
So this $60,000 goal, how many people would that put through the L1? Is that 60 people? No, no. So the goal is to put 20 on the East Coast. We want to have an East Coast training center. And so that's where we're, we are now in Eel Grounds First Nation uh, yeah. at the Pound. So CrossFit the Pound with Brad McMillan. Uh, he's been a, a CrossFit affiliate since June of 2013. So we want that to be our yeah. East Coast training center where we can train 40 people a year there. And then we want to do and support half of them with the scholarship, which means 20 athletes. And then we want to do a West Coast uh, training center on Vancouver Island, where I'm at, uh, and train another 40. So every year we want to be able to have, uh, sorry, we have a total of, of 40 total. So we have 20, 20 total scholarships on each, each coast. So 40 total scholarships at 60,000. And, and, and it doesn't, it cost like a, th- Oh, is, and that's Canadian money. Is that how much it costs to 40 yeah, scholarships costs, in Canadian? It, yeah. It costs $1,500 to pay for the L one to CrossFit. Wow. Um, what about, um, by the way, amazing. Like obviously you and I know this, anyone who goes to that, it's going to change their life, like forever change the trajectory of their life. It's going to empower them and give them the tools to work on themselves no matter what. And, and as you, and I I know I preach this all the time, but as you get older with the, um, the CrossFit level one, it, 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 it changes, it ferments, it morphs. There's things that you think you're learning about fitness in there that you later on learn or about parenting or learn about um, sleeping or learn about like how to t- um, feeling sorry for yourself. Like there's things that just keep going through kind of a maturation process, the things you learn in there. Well, I got to tell you, Savant, the gold nugget that I love about level one, and this is something that even Steph, my wife and I were talking about this morning, is just the idea that the foundational base is built on nutrition. And I can't tell you, you know, amongst our, our indigenous population, how least amount of communication and education there is about nutrition and the box program and to be able to do, uh, you know, focus on meal preps and so on and so forth. Like that just doesn't exist in our communities. And so the power of actually translating our relationship with food and using it as fuel and fuel and being the foundation is just par- It's amazing. Like that's just an amazing education. Yeah, it's so messed up. I, I posted on my Instagram the other day. It's so hard for me to see, uh, being that I have kids. They showed a child eating a bowl of cereal. It was on our food drug. It was on our on our big on our our FDA posted this on their Instagram, and of course they had to turn off the comments because they were going to get destroyed by you know million CrossFitters. But they they showed a child eating a bowl of cereal on National Cereal Day, and they were promoting that as as healthy living. So it's it's it, I don't know if it's like this with your people, but in the you know in the United States, the average citizen not only do they not get health information, but they get the opposite. They get health information. They get sickness information in the under the guise of health information, and it sucks. It's painful. It's painful to watch, and and, and you learn all that at the level one. Yeah, okay. and you learn and you learn more. And, and for people like me who didn't learn it the first time, you always get a second chance to take the test again. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> hey, there's no there's no shame in that. Good there's no shame in that. I, I people would always ask me, should I take the test or not? I go, I don't know, I don't care. You you I, I think that there's people who probably go through that who learn more, who do who fail the test. I mean Yeah, it's well, awesome. and, it, well and to be honest with you, I got encouraged to do my level two, so I completed that. And that's why we got we've got people like Darius there who's taking his level two, and that's our goal is to build that internal capacity and just keep going. And ultimately, like I shared with Chuck two days ago, is I'd love to have our own North American Indigenous seminar staff 
where we're oh. going on, where we're going on the reserve, we're indigenous, you know, training our own people through the methodologies of CrossFit. That's a goal. Yeah. That seems so doable. That seems so doable. Um, so why, wh- is there money coming from anywhere else? What is, why doesn't, um, CrossFit help a little bit with this? I mean, I know that's easy to say. I know it's not, and, and, and I, I don't mean that as a dig CrossFit is not fucking Coca-Cola. People think that it's like this huge mega corporation because it, it is all over the globe, but it's not, it's still relatively small. It just, just has a loud voice because of people like me and you. Yeah. But, but well, is, is there any way they can help? Well, CrossFit's been phenomenal in the sense, you know, even working with Chuck. I mean, I, I got to tell you, Chuck Caswell is the salt of CrossFit's world. I and in, in the conversations that I've had with Chuck, I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful for his support and even how he's working with Nicole and the teams there at the training and development. There's a lot of support from CrossFit as a whole and right. even as a sense of. I mean, they're paying to send their, their staff all the way to New Brunswick and into the West Coast to support us. So they're covering the scholarship program and the cost of the scholarship part. Uh, we're just asking to be an equitable player because that's the other thing we, we're trying to teach our people is that, you know, we don't want to live on the cr- crowns of the crumb, you know, the, the, the crown crumbs anymore. We want to be equitable partners in this building. And so that's what I want to lead from the front and show and saying, hey, if we can be able to get people from a grassroots level, and that's what I love about CrossFit is the community to be able to support and to be genitive. I mean, Steph and I, we've supported people to do their level ones. And that's just as CrossFitters in a non-Indigenous context. Well, what about some of us uh, who are Indigenous being able to support? And so our council had decided that the GoFundMe page would be the best way to be clean and be transparent so everybody can see you know, the money coming in and how it's being used. Uh, but it also gives opportunities for corporations. So we've got corporate sponsors uh, being able to support as well. And so it's also uh, really exciting news that they're willing to to build capacity. So, no, I mean, everybody's supporting. I mean, as you can see, the, the GoFundMe has only been live for three days and there's already $725 in there. So, I mean, oh, I have a feeling... Awesome. I have a feeling it's not it's not going to be something that people are going to be bashful and and support. I think it's just getting the word out there. And I can't tell you how appreciative we are, Savant, for you having us to be able to to publish this. This is amazing. Oh, it's totally my pleasure. I, I'm stoked to be a part of it. To be honest, this is my, my favorite stuff to do. Um, I, I'm I'm looking up. For, I'm looking for that Instagram account. I ended up at GC Indigenous. I need I need CF CF Indigenous. Indigenous. Yep, CF Indigenous. CF. Oh, yeah, yeah. I followed them the other day. Much better, much better, I, much better. I appreciate it. And everybody out there, CF Indigenous is the new page for us. So if you want to stay connected, that's that's where we'd love to have you come and, and to be a part of it. So uh, we'll put both these links in the YouTube notes, uh, CF Indigenous, and a link to the GoFundMe page. Oh, there he is. There's Chuck. Yeah. So that's the poster that, we've, that Brad and his team at the Pound had built. And so the real focus is like you can see on the two days, it's the level one that, that Chuck and his team are going to come and they're going to train and, and be a part of our indigenous community. We're going to have ceremony and, and do it our way. Uh, and then the next two days is really focused on the scholarship programming, bringing the youth up, uh, with us because, again, we want, we want the youth to walk with us and be a part of what we're doing. And so we're fresh. We're new. That Instagram page is new. Um, and so again, we've, we've already got a hundred, hundred people following us. And so we're excited about it. What is this? So that's a, a, a conceptual partnership that we have with an amazing fitness, uh, equipment sponsor. And that's Gila fitness working with Gus and will. 
And so they're out of uh, Brazil, but they are indigenous from their background in Hawaii. And so we've really got a value connect with them to be able to provide us with an option in our remote rural areas. So that's a gym in a box. So it's basically a CrossFit gym in, in a container that we'd be able to take to places like Haida Gwaii and our northern parts of Ontario and Manitoba, where we get everything in uh, a container shipped up to people on the reserve. And then we have the blessing of being able to put it all together and run uh, CrossFit programming right out of that. God, that thing is yummy. Yeah, and it's only $60,000 Canadian, so it's pretty inexpensive as well. Man, it, that just looking at this makes me want to work out. Don't you love that all that stuff? It's it's like a playland for CrossFitters. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so so in two in 2017, June of 2017, you get on the scale and you see 398 pounds. So that was five, four or five years ago. Almost five years, yeah. How, how do you get to um, 398 pounds? Stress. And a bad relationship with food. When you were little, were you a big kid? Uh, no. So I, I was, uh, you know, a wrestler in, in school. And I played football in high school in Reed City High School. And actually played college ball in Arkansas and football. And, and I didn't actually become large until I went into my graduate program at the University of Western Ontario. And it was really just a fallout of trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And you know, what am I going to do? And I'd lost my grandmother at that time. My, my grandmother had passed away. She was a, a woman who struggled with diabetes. And this is my dad's mom, my indigenous, my Anishinaabek mom, Martha White, God rest her soul. Uh, and so I was just struggling. And so I found a lot of comfort in eating, Savant, to be honest. So, And what was your go-to? Did you have a go-to food? Oh, pizza and wings, man. Pizza, wings, and beer are my go-to. And, and now even ciders was my go-to, so... Oh, that's interesting. You know, I have a friend who trains so fucking hard and I was like, Hey dude, what's going on with your diet? Cause he just, his, he can't get any transformation. He goes, dude, I'm addicted to ciders. <laughs> yeah. He basically, and, and that's kind of, that's a really wicked combination. Um, I, 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 I always get hate for this and I apologize for those of you who are going to be triggered by this, but I think a lot of people who think that they're alcoholics are really addicted to the carbohydrates and I, and, and that, and, and that was a part of my, part of my issue. The easiest thing for me to quit drinking wine every night is to have a little piece of fruit. Right. As soon as I would have, if I wanted a glass of wine, I'd be like, Oh, you can have it. But first, and I didn't normally eat fruit, but first have like half an apple and I would cut like half an apple and I'd eat it. And within 10 minutes, my cravings for wine went away and I'm like, okay, I'm craving sugar. I thought, and, and, and like, so it was a double, double whammy, right? I'm getting fucking drunk, but really all I want is sugar. I mean, they're both bad for you, obviously. But like, so, okay, let's, let's start by cutting out the, the alcohol and just move to the sugar. So I started eating just like, and then I eventually, thanks to Greg Glassman taught me this, I would eat uh, frozen berries with a little bit of heavy cream on it. And when, when you put heavy cream on frozen oh, berries, good. dude, it turns to magic <laughs> shell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only dessert my kids know. You just take a little bit of heavy cream and you put it on frozen berries and um, you're basically just eating a bowl of fat. Instead That's of a awesome. bowl of sugar. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's so and it's hard berries. on there. It's so fun. Yeah. Okay. And, so I and I found for me, it was more salt. So, so as I've learned myself and what my body needs is I, I eat carbohydrates because of the salt. I like the salt. Okay. And that's because my body's deficient of salt. So I, uh, I've, I've learned through 
you know, my own meal plan and macro learning that, you know, I, my body needs a, a bit, of, a little bit more salt. So I even put it in my water. So, well, that's cool. Good pink Himalayan. <laughs> so what, what ends up happening? So, so at this time, are you doing, so you're going to school, you're, you're drinking too much um, beer, you're eating too much pizza, you're having too much fried chicken. And what happens that is, is it just, what, what were you doing at the hospital that day when you got on the scale? Uh, so that's what I do professionally. So I'm a, a certified health exec that I oversaw primary healthcare clinics. And so I was working in my own context in, in, own First Nation as the director of comprehensive primary care, overseeing 11 primary health care clinics. And so I just was in there one day and I was talking to one of the nurse practitioners and he was like, you know what, I, I think we should try this wheel of death with you. It's a new tool that we're trying to use. And I'm like, well, maybe we should try to change the name of it because it doesn't sound too appealing. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound good. And, uh, and so we went through it and he was like, oh yeah, he's like, you know, the early predictors and with the adverse child, child effects score that you have uh, because of the trauma and so on and so forth that's happened in your life. You know, you're proposed, and I was 38 at the time, so he's like, you're proposed to have your first heart attack at 44. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? And then I went home that week, and my baby at the time, we call her Mouse, her name's Sophia, she was learning that we were trying to teach her how to ride her bike. And literally Savant, I, I couldn't help her ride her bike. I was just gassed. I, I couldn't get my breath and had a whole bunch of things going on. And so there was a bunch of things that triggered that week. And I was like, I've got to get my shit together. So, um, I just started walking and I built a really good relationship with a high school friend of mine who knew about CrossFit. She was doing CrossFit in Grand Rapids at CrossFit 616 and she's like, you know what? You just got to start. You just got to start doing what you can do. And then the story just perpetuates after that. So um, tell me the guy, the guy, the cat that um, did the wheel of death. Do you remember that person's name? Yeah, his name was Richard St. Cartier. And um, did, I mean, did, how do you do that? Is, is Richard just a really caring person or does he have a huge set of balls or is he like, how does someone you're obviously in a position of power at that place and he tell i mean i mean basically this guy kind of saved your life right he had well, he was set. trying to he was he was trying to test the tool to see because amongst our indigenous population but he knew three, but he knew roger it was going oh, to yeah. like fuck with you like he he would he had to like i mean i wouldn't want to tell that would be hard for me i used to see greg do that just walk up to someone who's 400 pounds you know <laughs> and just be like hey and they'd be like what and it's like you know someone just like wearing a sheet they're so big he'd be like I, I want you to go to one of my gyms. I got something for you. And the people would look at him like he's crazy. And next thing I know, he's in a 15 minute conversation with them trying to save their life. And I'm like, fuck that shit takes balls. Well, it, you know what it does? And I think it's because Richard cared. He cared a lot about the community. He cared a lot about our people. And he was the chronic disease lead for our, our particular initiative that was really focusing on, um, you know, obesity, hypertension and diabetes which are the number one, two, and three uh, killers of our people. And I think the stats, I looked it up the other day, uh, and it's we have four times the prevalence of diabetes and metabolic resistance in our community uh, than the average Canadian, than the average American. And I even think in some parts of the states, from when I was talking with the people down in Arizona working on the Navajo Reserve, it's six times the amount. So again, 
it's it's crazy and so for here's me, why it's nuts because it's already so high in the in the other it's like it's like so high just in the regular population so to be any multiple of it is is mind-boggling mind-boggling yeah but what's even uh, what's even more mind-boggling is that we have the answer we yes. have the answer to that that problem right to metabolic disease we have the answer and, and people, it, right and, and yeah and people can take action like right now yeah you can, today, you can, they can if you're going to today. Starbucks, don't order a Frappuccino. If you're on, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're about to order a Frappuccino, just don't. Just get no. a coffee. Just get a coffee. Caffeine's plenty of a drug for you. You don't need the other shit. <laughs> just get a cup of coffee. Do you, do you remember putting sugar in your coffee? No, I, but I, I, you I know what I remember the worst? You know what I remember the worst? What? I think it was, it was Coke. It was drinking like six or eight cans of Coke a day. That was, the, that was the worst. So I thank God for Coke Zero today. <laughs> yeah! Wow! Wow! Uh, okay, so so I want to touch on one thing. When you said the trauma, so they did the they did the markers for you. He told you you're you're uh, you have a heart attack coming right around the corner. You're like time to do something. But one of the components you said is your trauma. It, what yeah. what is that? What does that mean? What was he referencing when he said your trauma? So the amazing part about where you guys live in California is they did a study back in the early 2000s, that's called the Adverse Child Effects Study. You can look at it. It's called the ACEs Study. And it's an amazing study that basically gave us the evidence to be able to, to be the best predictor of comorbidities for all of humanity, not just Indigenous people, but it was all humanity. And basically, it's a, it's a, a questionnaire that you can take that you answer these questions and it's a good predictor of, of what might potentially happen. So how many comorbidities you might have growing up. And so because of trauma, whether it's alcohol, addiction, abuse, so on and so forth, you get a score and based on that score. So Savant, you can look it up and you can actually take the question. It's a questionnaire of 10 questions and you can basically see, Hey, you know, it's making you mindful. It's making you aware of that. And on top of, you know, being predisposed to diabetes, predisposed to hypertension and, and heart disease and predisposed to an obesity lifestyle. Um, it was a pretty good predictor that, you know, around the corner, something was going to happen. A train wreck was going to happen. Right. So. Uh, and, and I will and I will look that up. Uh, Devesh uh, Maharaj, every single weight loss guest you've mentioned, their problem was Coca-Cola. Yeah, that that was that was one of the problem, not 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 the most problem. I would say. I think for me, it was just my relationship with food and using it to cope and to deal with my emotional stuff. Because at that time, I also was building a young family, right? So you know, having you know you know one child after another is is difficult, right? And then trying oh. to survive and all that stuff. So, dude, I remember as a kid putting sugar on my cereal. Yes, I I I basically put cereal on my sugar and grapefruit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Grapefruit was was unedible as a child unless it was smothered in sugar. So, um, you, you were scared. You didn't want to. It, 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 I, and I guess this is a, a theme amongst us um, uh, fathers too. You didn't want to die because you had kids. Yeah, totally. Like, hey, yep. I need I need to raise these kids. Yeah. That's exactly the case. So I, I, the, the, the reality was is that I didn't want to be able to leave them without a dad because, to be totally transparent, that's, that's how I live my life. You know, my dad wasn't in my life after I was eight years old. And so I had that, you know, want to be able to have, you know, my dad and to be there for my kids. 
And so I figured, you know what? I can do something about it now that I know. Uh, but I will tell you, I did struggle. I did struggle for about 90 to 120 days to try to figure out what to do, to be honest. Like, what do I do? I'm at this rate. I'm, I'm in this body. What do I do? Um, so you get off the scale at that time when you were, did the wheel of death, did you, um, did you, had you ever heard of CrossFit before? No. you never even heard of it? Nope. Okay. And then, so sorry, I know you mentioned this, but, and then how did that pop on your radar? Well, so I had a conversation with a friend of mine who actually, I went to high school with her and she's actually a physician. She's an ER physician. Her name's uh, Dr. Michelle Whitford. A shout out to Michelle because I, I love her to death. She's a real reason why I, I started in understanding how how to change my life and how to how to how to find health and and well being. And so she said, You gotta check this CrossFit stuff out. And even better, I've got a guy that I can connect you with. His name's Christian Roberts. Uh, he's a nutritionalist and a CrossFit guy and he can work with you and, and balance and, and you know what? I'll I'll help you out. And so she helped me out, got me connected, and, and I started the journey learning about macros and learning about proteins, carbohydrates, and fats and what that was all about, but also just basic movements. And so we started that conversation and that journey. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, it's interesting. I was trying to think of a good metaphor for it, but basically a doctor that does CrossFit is basically the a Reese's peanut butter cup of the the health world. Uh, but the reason why it doesn't work is because I don't think a doctor alone is as good as peanut butter or chocolate, but man, you mix these doctors that do CrossFit. I mean, they, they, they really have all the tools now they could fix a gunshot wound or they could fix your, your um, impending um, heart attack uh, long in advance. What a crazy thing. And so when she tells you this is your instant reaction, like there's no fucking way I'm going to do this. Like, were you scared or, or were you not scared since you didn't know anything about it? No, I, I wasn't scared until I actually walked into CrossFit gym in Kenora, uh, Ontario, and was like, this guy's power snatching 265 pounds over his head. And I'm like, nope, this shit ain't for me. Sorry. Right. <laughs> and I, went back to the, I went back to the hotel that night, Savant, and I told my wife who we were doing a contract up there, like, I'm not fucking going back there. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to say that, but I'm not going back there. <laughs> How, how did you, um, what did you do your first day and, and, and how did you get past that? But when you went in there that day, did they have you do anything? Like, did you, um, squat to a box or did you do any movement or was it enough just to go in there and walk out? No. So the, the workout was actually, all I remember from the first day of going into the CrossFit box was pistols. Oh my so, God. Oh yeah. So the workout was pistols. And I was looking at this lady, and, and she was an elderly lady, and she was able to do a pistol like a champ. And I was looking at her, looking at me, and I looked at Steph, and I'm like, there ain't no days. I'm, if I'm going down, I'm staying down. <laughs> and, uh, and I've fallen and can't get up, so somebody's going to have to help me. But anyway, so the coach there is amazing. Again, shout out to Dave Emery. He's like, nope, that's not where you're going to start. Your job is to do heel taps. And so he put a 45-pound plate on the ground. And he said, I want you to stand up on, on the plate and I want you to just tap your heel. That's what I want you to do. And, it, and, and it just grew from there. So that was amazing. And, and that kicked up, it catalyzed my journey. So, so you go back and you tell your wife, you're not going to go back in. How did you make it in then the second time? 
Well, because she looked at me and she said, you know what, Roger, one of the things you've always told me is you've never quit. So damn, it's always a, it's always a right? woman. Right? It's always a woman. It's crazy. <laughs> so I, uh, tell me I what she back. said to you again. She said, she just, she just said that, you know what, Roger, you've always told me that when you start something, you finish it and you'll never quit. So are you quitting? And I was like, oh man. <laughs> Um, it, uh, my, when, um, I always tell my wife, I'm like, man, I I don't know how this, my life is like this, but the universe is always conspiring to help me. And I remember when Matt Sousa's like called me out of the blue and he's like, Hey, you should start this podcast again. I'm going to help you with it. And I'm like, no, thank you. And, and my wife's like, I got a phone and my wife's like, I thought you always said the universe is conspiring to help you. And I go, yeah. She goes, well, someone just offered to help you with a podcast and you told them no. And I'm like, oh shit. I called him back up. I'm like, yeah. all right, I'll do this for a little bit. And it, she was right. She was right. Like I, I was, I was. She was right. They're, yeah. they're right. Hey, that's a good mate. How did you meet your wife? Uh, I met her working at, at the clinic, and so she's a nurse practitioner by trade. And so, uh-huh. uh, you know, her and I, as our our stories crossed, we met, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. And I think. You know, the other thing about going into the CrossFit box, I think the other thing that's inspiring is that I think that's just it. You know, going back and saying, you know what, if I keep this up, maybe, maybe one day, one day I can snatch 265. So I'm not there yet, Savant, but we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> I'm never, I, Savant Matosian will never snatch 260. <laughs> Savant Matosian will never snatch 165. Hey, um, uh, your wife believes in you. Yeah. Yeah, that's so nice having someone believe in you. Well, I think the other thing is that she uh she believed in me when I was big, right? So you know that she's a keeper. It's almost like that same phrase that if your wife believes you when you're poor, when you're yeah. rich, she'll stay with you. Yeah, I met my wife when I was homeless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. Hey, it, it's it's almost like they see so I it's I, I haven't I need to tell this story in detail one time, but I when I before before I met my wife, God knows, 20 some odd years ago, I had this other girlfriend and it was when I, and I was homeless and she was a physiology. She was a beautiful girl who's a physiology major at the University of Santa Barbara. And she would always tell me, man, you have crazy earning potential. And I was just this fucking homeless hippie. And I'd be like, what's she talking about? But but your wife saw the your wife sees a a rock and she sees and, and everyone else sees a rock and your wife saw David. Do I sound smart when I say that? Isn't David the sculpture where the the, 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 the naked guy, the naked guy, the thinker? Your wife, your wife. Some people see a rock, and your wife saw the thinker. It's crazy. Yeah. We're so lucky to have people like that in our lives. Well, I don't. Th- I I think like again, it's the that's the beauty of CrossFit. It's not just you know the one member that continues to encourage, but it, that it's multiple members, right? So I think it was a a catalytic effect of multiple people saying, "Hey, you know what." And I got to tell you, you know, that's one of the things that I love about CrossFit that's different than any other gym I've ever been in is that they're always cheering for you to beat them and to be successful. Right. That does, that's, that's, that's countercultural in the sense. And so for me, it was, that's why I stayed with it. That's why I stay with it today. And that's why I think, you know, that's, that's an answer for our people because, again, it's mm-hmm. countercultural in, in being able to, to move us forward. So. So, um, when do you start noticing weight loss? If you're 398, when do you start noticing, um, uh, and, and you start, and what year was it that you, re- that you started? Do you remember your exact start date? 
Yeah, June 17th, 2017. Oh, I thought that was the day you got on the scale. I yeah, that's it. But that next day, I, I I started. I started my weight loss journey. I went on a calorie deficit, and I, I started to have the conversations. But I actually didn't start CrossFit until that January of 2018. And Okay. Okay, so, so about uh, – so almost like nine months, 10 months yeah. after. Okay. But, but yeah. in that 10 months, you had already started working on cleaning up your diet. Yeah. Started working on cleaning up my diet. I did the Joey Galloway interval running and, uh, started to try to, to get my shit together. Um, did you, when did your wife start doing it? Did, does your wife do it? I'm assuming that eventually you're like, okay, you yeah. got to do this too. She started right away. So she started to to run with me as well. And, and to even if she wasn't able to be there because potentially she had to be in the clinic, she'd call and I'd talk to her when I ran. And um, but we both started CrossFit the same place, same thing. Oh, so and to this and to this day, do you guys still? Are, does she still do CrossFit also? Yeah, she's a beast. Yeah, she's a she's a gym, she's a gymnastic beast. Yeah, I got one of those too. Just someone I'm just never going to catch. I just and um and and so what do you have? A, do you have a goal or 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 not a goal? And and I'm not I'm not by like when a I ask that goal question, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting in any any uh, me- measure that you need a goal. I'm not suggesting that at all. But do you have one? Yeah, like when you started, you're 398 pounds. Do you have? Do you set out with a goal? So I just ha- so I had a goal that I was going to lose 200 pounds. I wanted to lose a full 200 wow. pounds. Holy shit! Um, at, as the goal, but I got I got realized, I guess, or I got a I I got a slap on the back of the head by saying, "I want you to focus." And this was from Christian Roberts, the guy that I was working with. He's like, "I want you to focus on 10 pounds at a time," because he's like, "If you look at the whole amount, you're going to get." Um, you know, you're going to get, you know, kind of upset or you're going to get, you know, it's potentially get you knocked off your, off your path. And so just focus on the day and the now and what you got to accomplish that day. And so that's the small bites and the small pieces was really helpful for me. What what do your kids say about your journey? Oh, they, they, or does it just seem they, normal? They to love them? it. I, yeah. No, no. So, so Harmony came up to me the other day and she said to me, she's like, Dad, I can fit my arms around you now, where she couldn't do it before. That is so like, awesome. I was like, "Do you want to slap now or later?" <laughs> you have. It's so nice that you have this crew around you that's just brutally honest. And mm-hmm. and this gentleman and this gentleman Richard who put you on the wheel of death. When's the last time you've seen him? Oh man, I haven't seen him in years, to be honest. The, so he doesn't know. <laughs> No, well, he does know that I lost a significant amount of weight because two years after that, so that would have been 2019, right before COVID, I spoke at a, a national conference that he was actually in in the seat uh, at, um, and he he had actually reached out to me and was like, "Wow, I can't believe it!" And there was some other things that happened. I'd, I'd had uh, arm surgery at that time, uh, and he was like, "Wow, you look amazing." And I post a lot. Like, so if you look on my Facebook and my Instagram, you'll see the whole journey. Like I posted every day. That was the other thing that 
I felt that Facebook and Instagram did really well was to provide a social accountability for me. Because again, if I'm, if I'm not posting my progress, then I'm not being a, a, a person who practices what he preaches. Right. So, yeah. Um, these, uh, he kicked this guy, Richard kicked a pebble, tiny little pebble down a hill and it's crazy. And now you become this vector for spreading this contagious, uh, lifestyle behavior mindset. It's so important. Sometimes I'll post these pictures. Often I'll post these pictures of people who've gone through these incredible uh, transformational journeys. And every once in a while, someone will say to me, Hey, why do you call, why do you hold these people in such high self-esteem? Everyone should be like this. And no, I, I don't agree with that at all. I agree that everyone should be, I would much rather see, I, I want to see people sharing their transformation. I think that all we, all we have all our contribution here on the planet, our value as human beings is only how we help other human beings, only how we inspire other human beings to be better. And it's like, that's what you're doing. So however, however you're doing it, however you got there, it's, it's cool. And it's for everybody. It's, it's, it's for everybody. It gives everyone hope. Yeah. It's inclusive for sure. If you, as we get to 90 minutes here and I'm going to take my kids to the skate park, can you give me, oh, first I want to say one more thing. Hold on before we go. I, uh, I want to touch back on the, where is that GoFundMe page? Uh, this, this GoFundMe page will be in the YouTube links today. Um, it's, uh, or go to GoFundMe and just search Indigenous CrossFit Level 1 Scholarship Fund. Indigenous CrossFit Level one scholarship fund um and you could probably if, if you don't know how to spell indigenous you can just type in crossfit level one scholarship fund i bet you this will pop up there's a uh, handsome strong strapping young lad in a front squat and uh and, and you can't you can't miss the page um what what advice would you give to someone who is in your same position who wants to just get started I think it's ultimately just cross that barrier and reach out to me i'd love to hear from you i'd, I'd love to share even more of my story and any way we can encourage. And I think also the coaches that are out there, you guys are so fundamental, so fundamental for the people who are walked through your doors, you know, the CrossFit affiliates, the box owners, I got to tell you, you know, it's so fundamental. You make us feel welcome, even, even though that we might not be where we need to be. That encouragement is huge. Uh, guys. So there it is. No one has an excuse. This man, Roger Boyer, um, you can find him at MF CEO. M-A-K-W-A, M-F-C-E-O-M-A-K-W-A on Instagram. And uh, and he will start pointing you in the in the right direction of your weight loss journey. Dude, 90 minutes of just, yeah, we just you. flew through this. Roger, you demand. man.